a very high cap rate is is strongly indicative of either a problemed property or a problemed area or both. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health, and they make the whole process really easy, and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you, and on average, they can save you 400 bucks a year, and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We get straight to the best real estate investing advice that uh, helps you make more money. Uh, Let's see. It will help you save time and use your time where you want to use it. And, you know, hopefully enjoy the journey. And with us today, we have an experienced multifamily and single-family investor, but mostly multifamily, Michael Gansberg. How are you doing, Michael? Good, Joe. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. And a little bit about Michael before we get into it. He's the author of a couple books, one of them being Rentals to Riches, Making Money in Multifamily Real Estate. And you can check out the link to that book in the show notes page on, on my website, And he owns and operates an educational company in New York City. He's a licensed real estate broker and currently owns and operates 40 buildings, mostly 2 to 12-unit buildings. He is a former chemistry instructor at New York University, and he is based in New York City, New York. With that being said, Michael, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Absolutely, Joe. So I started in uh, 2003 with uh, two and three family homes in northern and western New York State. So think like Albany, Troy, and Buffalo and South Buffalo. And with a focus on medium-sized towns that have, you know, uh, universities and uh, really nice draws for tenants. 
And uh, the homes I started buying were initially in good to very good condition. So not distressed, but also not perfect. And between 2003 and I would say early 2006, um, I purchased pretty aggressively and uh, focused on getting great management and really just learned the business. I I never actually took a course in real estate. So I just kind of did it on the fly and uh, got lessons from basically, you know, investing directly. And then uh, in early 2006, I stopped investing uh, and just kept what I had. I thought prices were a little out of line with rental rates. So I took a couple years off just to focus and learn the business really well and hone my management skills. Um, And then in 2009, we all remember what happened there. The market kind of collapsed a bit and uh, I decided the prices were just right. So with the skills I'd acquired over the past six years, I started buying distressed assets because I was ready to do that. You know, when I started in 2003, I wouldn't know what to do with a distressed asset. But by 2009, I'd I'd acquired the skills. Um, So I started buying foreclosures and short sales uh, and properties that had high vacancy rates um, and mostly with cosmetic issues, not, not usually with really foundation issues or anything like that. And I found around 2009, 2010, the market was flooded with the, you know, with 10 unit properties and properties in that size, uh, in, in around that size. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that it was just a great opportunity. So, you know, primarily because financing was so hard to come by around then. If you were selling something of that size, you either uh, had to have a really good bank relationship or you could go to hard money lenders. But you know, it was still uh, it still kind of shrunk the pool of available buyers, which I th- I found uh, made very tasty deals. So nowadays, my main stomping ground and my favorite place to invest is Troy and surroundings. So that would be like Troy and Waterford and a bit of Albany and Mechanicville. And I also do some Hudson River Town investing, um, and uh, I found that those areas have treated me very well. So in 2012, I started writing Rentals to Riches, roughly 2012, maybe 2013. Um, and that was published a few months ago. And I figure, I, I think I could have cut my trajectory uh, time in half if, if I knew now what I knew then. You know, I could have gotten here in about six years instead of, instead of 11 or 12. Um, and then uh, I recently got my broker's license, and that allowed me to get involved in real estate in some different ways. Instead of just solely directly investing, I could, you know, uh, if there was a property that wasn't my style or wasn't in my location, now I have the ability to show it to others, uh, you know, where it may not be my cup of tea, it might be theirs. So I've started showing properties in New York City a little bit. Uh, and I'm also expanding my footprint to the capital district where I have a lot of, uh, expertise. Wow. All right. I have one overarching question, but before I ask that question, I just want to comment. I love the term tasty deals that just, (laughs) that just lights me up on the inside. Uh, I I'm going to continue to use that term. So feel free. Okay. Thanks. No TM after that. I appreciate (laughs) it. All right. You said if you knew now, if you knew then what you know now, you'd be able to cut in half the time from 12 years to six years that it took you to get to where you're at. What do you know now that you didn't know then? Well, one of the main things is I had this idea when I started investing that a very high cap rate would mean that I would make more money. Because in theory, it should mean that. But a very high cap rate is 
is strongly indicative of either a problemed property or a problemed area or both. And uh, those high cap rates tend to be theoretical, in my opinion. So, I mean, just for example, let's say you, you see a building that sells for $100,000 but rents for $20,000 a year versus a building that rents for it sells for $100,000 and rents for $10,000 a year. You know, the first, the former would seem like a much better deal, but there's a reason why it's so cheap. And for a new investor, I think those high cap rate buildings are uh, fool's gold. You know, you can, uh, it's just very hard to realize uh, that sort of rent roll if it's a struggling property or a struggling neighborhood. Um, and when you gain more expertise, it actually becomes easier to do that. But still, those struggling properties and struggling areas, it, it takes a lot of skill to deal with those and it may just not be worth it. Okay. With those struggling properties or, or with the high cap rates and the, the area or the property, makes a lot of sense. Do you manage the properties yourself? Well, actually, when I started investing, um, for the first year, I tried to manage properties remotely. I, in my first year, I bought, I think, three properties or maybe four. And I tried managing them from approximately, I'd say, on average, 100, well, maybe it's about 80 miles away. And I think you'd have to be extremely skilled to be able to do that, or the properties really have to be plug and play, or maybe even condos or something like that. But uh, so after the first year, I realized I did not have what it takes to manage real estate. It's very challenging, uh, at least to me, and especially at a great distance. That just adds to the challenge exponentially. So um, I looked around for management, and uh, it, it's actually kind of difficult to find good management. But I, you know, I, I persevered and uh, I located good management, and that actually made all the difference. Help me understand, because this is actually a question one of my clients is working through and I'm working through with them. And it, it's always nice to hear a different perspective because I, I haven't purchased this type of, this size of property before. Uh -huh. And I, I love how you mentioned, you know, the the tasty deal of a 10 unit because it, the, you kind of are in a, in limbo with the financing options and who the buyers and sellers are. Right. What's the fee structure that you have to pay for the management of this property? That's an interesting question. So I, I have three managers right now. I would say one is, uh, I would say two would be kind of mom and pop. And the third, I've essentially vertically integrated into my company. So it's kind of an external slash internal manager. But the I would say going in, and at least in my neck of the woods, going in with, say, five to 10 units, uh, an investor might expect to pay 10% uh, of the gross rent roll. You know, and I think that that's um, you actually have a lot of incentive to scale because uh, usually when you hit 20 to 30 or 40 units, uh, that management fee can drop down to eight and six and eventually five percent. But it's very individual. If if you're operating in a challenging area, it may not matter how many units you have. I think I think a management company won't take it. You know, won't take your units for you know a very, for five percent because you know rent collections might be challenging or you know, the repairs might be more difficult if the uh, buildings tend to be a little, you know, more worn down. So I'd say going in and depending on the area, an investor could expect around a 10% fee, but with scale that can drop down to, uh, you know, in the, I would say in the mid single digits somewhere. And just a point of clarification for my own purposes, is that 10% of the gross potential or 10% of the effective gross? It really depends on management, uh, but 
I, I think in general, it's 10% of rents collected. If any manager suggested to me or some other investor <laughs> that it's 10% of theoretical, yeah, I, I'd, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably say, you know, no, thank you. Let's find someone else, you know? <laughs> And are there other fees that you've come across in, say, that scenario where, you know, 10 units, 10% of gross? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it really is dependent on the individual manager or management company, but some managers actually do some of their own repairs, uh, you know, maybe light plumbing and electrical work. And other managers farm that out uh, partially or completely. And I think for somebody who's just getting started, Ideally, you'd want to have a manager who can do some repair work on their own because if for every time there's a little, you know, a leaky faucet, the manager calls a professional plumber, uh, it would be very hard to uh, have a positive cash flow on a property like that. Where, whereas if you know the manager charges you an hourly for extras like leaky faucets or you know changing the light bulbs or something like that. You know, then you know what you're getting, and uh, it tends to be a lot cheaper. Um, but you know, it can be challenging to get good management starting out. Imagine getting a, a two-unit building with a rent roll of call it two thousand a month. You know, a manager at ten percent is making two hundred a month, and if they're very qualified, they may think, well, you know, why do I want to take on a new client and all that extra paperwork for just two hundred a month? So it can be a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario. You know, so early on, investors may actually uh, struggle to find uh, excellent management, but um, but that's a struggle worth uh, worth making. How are you financing your properties? When I started, I had access to I would say the um, the big commercial banks because um, because typically typically the more debt an investor takes on, as you're aware. You know, the less willing the big commercial banks, you know, are to lend uh, to you. So when I started, it was with, you know, the big banks like Bank of America and Chase and usually pretty typical 20 percent down loans. And then after then in 2009, when I went back in and I actually changed property types, I found that those banks wanted nothing to do with me. You know, they they were not interested in financing anything above four units for one. And I remember a, a, a peculiar phone call, actually, when um, I spoke to one of the big banks, and I won't name which, and uh, I said, yes, I'm an investor, I have this many properties, and I'd like to finance this building. And they said, oh, well, we don't make loans to investors who have more than four properties now. So they had changed their, uh, you know, their underwriting requirements, which was interesting, because you know, I, th- I would think the investors who have more than four properties are the ones that they'd want to make the loans to. So... What I ended up doing in 2009, my first deal back in, I went with a hard money lender at 16%. So I, I can sense the best ever listeners kind of cringing. So <laughs> <laughs> what I did after that, I rehabbed this property. I mean, the property itself was distressed. So no bank. What was the property? What type of property? Well, it was a 10 unit. And I'd been watching it for about six months, and it was a little overpriced, about 70% vacant if memory serves. And on a Sunday night, the price dropped by 25%. Did you have a notification, or did you just happen to log in, or where where did you see us? I was going old school. So I think I was checking this property weekly. You know, that was foolish. I should have had some sort of, you know, automatic notification set up. But so I just noticed the price dropped and I called my manager late that night and I said, you have to look at this place tomorrow. You know, if it's not falling down, I'm going to buy it. So that's actually what happened. 
what website were you checking it on or where'd you find it? I think I was looking on probably a, a Trulia or, or some type of website like that. Okay. Yeah. Could have been realtor.com or Craigslist. It was probably Trulia. Okay. Yeah. And so what, I ended up buying it and it was really for pennies. And so, you know, the, the 16% loan uh, was, um, it, it was in effect for about a year or a year and a half. I rehabbed the whole thing. And then I financed out with a community bank at, at a very favorable rate. I think it was 5%. Uh, and I still have that loan and property today. What was the purchase price? Do you remember? I remember it to the dollar. It was $145,000. And it was actually initially one hundred fifty, but uh, there was a wholesaler involved. And I have to admit, I, I squeezed him a little bit because uh, he couldn't deliver the property in a timely way. So I pushed it down to one forty-five. Uh, and then I did all the rehab, which, you know, I mean, there was a lot of misinformation out there. There was the, um, the seller or wholesaler, you know, it, it was pretty complicated, said that it needed two new roofs. It was like uh, two townhouses side by side, needed new plumbing. You know, there was asbestos, all this laundry list of stuff that was, you know, that did not sound good. But even with all that, I thought it was still a good deal. So I did the inspection, and I realized that it didn't need any new roofs. It just needed, uh, you know, a few patches. The asbestos was, you know, maybe a one-foot square in the basement, and uh, the pipes were mostly okay. So it ended up being almost all cosmetics. And uh, and when I refinanced, the value that it, I think the appraised value was something like three hundred seventy-five thousand. That's awesome. Yeah. How much did it cost for you to rehab? Okay. This is just between us. Eighty thousand bucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. So one forty five, say two forty five minus twenty is two twenty five. Okay, and it re and it refinanced for three seventy. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well I, I took out a seventy percent loan, so I absolutely cashed out my uh inputs, you could say, and, and then some. That's awesome. Yeah. What was it about this ten unit? And you said it was two different town what was it what was it what's it consist of yeah it's it's two connected townhouses and it's two blocks away from rpi which is a technical college uh technical university um a, a bit northeast of uh, albany and you know i what i thought was i i saw that the interiors had I, the bones were just amazing uh, you know you could tell that the wooden floors were built at a time when people really cared about detail and you know, the uh, the crown molding was amazing. And, you know, there were chandeliers there. It was just it was just beautiful. But, you know, it, it really needed a lot of cleanup. And uh, there were three tenants there who had all been there for about seven years. And I mean, they were living in squalor. You know, the, the old landlord had just not done his job. So I thought I have to rescue these tenants and I have to rescue these buildings. And um, and I did. You know, the the buildings are now beautiful. Um, the tenants there love it. And uh, you know, and and I also thought that two blocks away from RPI would be a really good place to be. You know, you have these. You have RPI, which is a huge draw. And then the uh, buildings are sort of in this area that was kind of a growing bar scene. And you know, it, it's become like the center of nightlife for uh, for uh, Troy. So. So uh, I kind of lucked out on that score. You know, I thought that might happen and I got lucky. Hmm. That's that's great. Yeah. When you do the rehabs, you're not living in that city. How are you conducting the rehabs? 
So to me, it's essential to have a ton of trust between management and uh, and me, you know. Um, and and at that point, my manager and I, uh, the one that worked on that project, we'd been together three years, uh, and he took over for a manager who um, wasn't so great. I, his name is Tom. He's amazing, and. Uh, you know, I thought, okay, I, I'm ready to trust him with a rehab project of this size. And it turned out to be, you know, much lighter than we thought going in, in terms of uh, costs. You know, so he'll he'll send pictures and as the project, uh, you know, starts and during, in the middle of the project and at the end. And then I can post those pictures for uh, interested tenants. So I, I trust Tom completely. And, you know, I think, uh, I think building a relationship with management uh, over time is, is crucial. So that you know, so that you can trust them with projects in the you know fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollar range. How'd you get introduced to Tom? That's a great question because in 07, I, I was still developing my real estate skills, and I, I I continue that to this day. But finding good management was the hardest thing for me. I just I didn't know how to do it, you know, because I figure a good manager is not going to advertise; they don't need to. So. I called the code department one day. I missed this ticket that I'd forgotten to pay or something. Um, and uh, the code department uh, employee said to me, uh, is the building managed? And I kind of laughed because I thought, wow, you know, he, it looks to him as though no one's even taking care of the place. And I said, yes, it's managed. But, uh, you know, I, I guess the manager's not doing such a great job. So I asked him, do you know anyone who you trust and who you think is a good manager? And he referred me to Tom. So... You know, I would actually recommend, and I put this in my book because it's one of the greatest tricks, in my opinion, to find a good manager. Call the local code department. They work with management all day for buildings in their areas. So, you know, they'll know who runs a, a tight ship, and they'll also know who, whose, you know, properties are kind of dilapidated and, uh, uh, and such. So, you know, if you just call the, the code department, it's, it's a great way to go. Wow. That's, a, that's an amazing tip. Did you hear... Your email ding, because if so, that was me buying your book on Amazon <laughs> as a result of just that one tip. But I'm serious. I'm actually adding to cart right now. Thanks and so much, added, Joe. I appreciate proceed that. Proceed to check out, making it happen. That's thoughtful. Yeah, that's, that's a really good tip. Best ever listeners, there's a link to and on my blog. You can check it out. Seriously, I just clicked place order. All right, Thank cool. You. Now we're back. That was, I love hearing these types of tips because they're, they're like exactly what we need to know from, you know, from obstacles that are real Yeah, and they're finding a local property management company, especially it's, it's pretty, it's pretty darn easy to find a property management company that's qualified that manages a hundred plus units. Right. But when we're, when we're talking these 10 to 20 units, they're in the in-between stage, 10 to 30 units in between stage of you got your single family property management company that doesn't have the infrastructure set up uh, in place for multifamily. And then you've got the big guns, the Rolls Royces of the market exactly. that manage 100 plus. So you really have to be crafty and resourceful when you find these. And that's a great tip. I agree completely. All right. Well, you already gave me my tip for the day, but I'm still going to have to ask you the money question. Go for it. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best investing advice kind of depends on who you are. I would say if you're just starting out, you really want to make sure you're in a prime area and you really want to make sure your building is is not a rehab. So basically get a great building in a great area and don't be afraid to pay more for it because if you're just starting out, you probably won't have the skills to 
deal with very big problems. Um, but I would say for a more experienced investor, someone who has at least five to seven deals under their belts, I would say that you know at that point they understand the business a lot better. And buying a property that's distressed with their team in place to actually rehab it at a great price is where they'll see you know the best upside. But I think I can't overstate how important location is. It's just it's just hard to you know. Let's say you think an area is going to turn around. It might. But it might take five or ten years, and really waiting for something like that can can be uh, much more expensive than someone thinks going in. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely, go for it. All right, first a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within thirty seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go do fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book for fiction. It is The Count of Monte Cristo. That is an absolute favorite of mine. Best ever way you use your chemistry skills in real estate? I'm actually a chemistry, physics, math guy, and I use my science skills to reduce energy consumption across the portfolio, energy and water consumption. And I think that's, uh, I, I, I can't even tell you how Uh, what sort of return you can get on your dollar uh, by doing those energy and water retrofits. It's amazing. Okay. Well, even though it's lightning round, we have to dig in there. What are you doing specifically to reduce the energy and water consumption? Happy to. So the energy consumption, my first uh, line of attack is replacing incandescent and fluorescent lighting with LED lighting. It tends to last for, if it's always on, it tends to last for six years. And if it's on Household usage, those bulbs will last 20 or 30 years. And the energy usage is about, it's a 50% reduction from fluorescent and a 90% from incandescent. So lighting is absolutely the easiest thing to do. And nobody should have anything but LED lighting in all of their buildings at this point. You have to make sure the light quality is good because otherwise, you know, the tenants won't be happy with it. As far as water usage goes, I recommend things like water sense uh, faucets and water sense shower heads and low uh, gallon per flush toilets. I know it's not sexy, but the amount you can save on your water bill, it's just astounding. And, you know, you'll just do so much better than the competition that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, a great way to go. Best ever deal you've done? Best deal I've done was a six and a four unit in Waterford, New York, that I would say was mildly distressed. Uh, and it was an off-market deal. And I think I, I think I got an absolutely amazing deal. Uh, and I, I can't even go into the numbers because I might blush a little bit. <laughs> it was great. Can you give us a, a taste of those numbers since we're into the tasty deals like you? Okay. So the two buildings together, I, I think we're somewhere in the 400 and something range. And I only had to put about 50 something grand into them. And, uh, and and after that, I, I think they were valued around uh, 750 together. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. How'd you find them? That deal I found through my manager who was actually in contact with um, with the seller. He, uh, he knows them. And the seller just uh, said to him, hey, you know, I want to sell these buildings, but I don't want to list them. And I don't know exactly why he did that. But, uh, but I said, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I took him off his hands and, you know, I, I put the work into him. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? The biggest mistake has been buying properties in neighborhoods that are struggling and expecting them to turn around in 
in an investor's time frame, in my time frame. So, you know, for instance, I would buy in a neighborhood where I thought things would change and rents would go up and property values would rise. Um, and most of the time I've been right, but sometimes it can take years. And uh, I, I think the stress of that uh, extended time period that, that uh, before the before the area turns around is is really not worth the additional upside that can be captured by uh, buying there. So um, so I don't really do that anymore. I just buy in neighborhoods that are very obviously turning around at the moment or in neighborhoods that tenants love to be in. Uh, and that way I don't have that uh, long period of extra work. And lastly, what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? So it is my first and last name at gmail.com. So that's Michael Gansberg at gmail.com. And spelling that can be a challenge. So if you just Google my book, Rentals to Riches, that'll show you the spelling of my name. And that's the way, the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about your multifamily experience, how you got started in 2003, 2006, purchasing aggressively and then cooled off until, I mean, perfect timing, 2009, started buying distressed properties, mostly 10 units because, or you focus more on 10 units because those were the tasty deals. That's where it was tough to finance for others. The big lesson that you've learned for how you could cut it in half from six years to, or from 12 years to six years, is a high cap rate would mean, does not necessarily mean that you make more money. A high cap rate could be a problem area or a problem property. So pay attention to those. We got into property management. That's one of the big challenges with properties that are of 10, 20, 30 unit size. You got into some of the, the fees that you can expect to be charged. Like for example, 10 units could be 10% of the collected rent. 20 to 30 units could be around 8%. It also depends on the rents that you're getting because you've got to really look at it from their perspective, the management company's perspective. What are they going to be receiving on a monthly basis and how much work are they going to need to do? You got to make it worth their while. So there's a balance there. Then you're talking about how to find a good property management company that's local for properties of those sizes. You use a great example of calling the code department and asking them who would they refer because they're working with property management companies very frequently and they know the good ones and the bad ones. Love the tactical tips on energy and water consumption or limiting the consumption rather for energy, replace the incandescent and fluorescent lights with LED lighting and for water, have the water sense faucets, shower heads and low gallon per flush toilets. Uh, and thanks for giving some of the uh, case studies that you did, the four and six unit in Waterford, 400K range, put in 50 and uh, now it's worth about 750. And then the mistake, is buying buildings in areas that you thought would turn around. So banking on the gentrification of the areas whenever it doesn't necessarily happen. Thanks again so much. Loved our conversation. Got a lot out of it. Already bought the book during the conversation. Thanks a lot, Michael. Have a good one. All right, will do.
I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health and they make the whole process really easy and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever.